Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So a few months ago, John Hunter and I were driving through the back roads of northwest Alabama, and we passed through a town, very small community called Oakville, Alabama. And I saw a sign for a museum regarding Jesse Owens. I knew that the great Olympian was born in Alabama. I knew that he moved to Cleveland, Ohio later in life. And so we stopped. And it's a very wonderful, small museum. It was really interesting to learn about his story. And when I returned home, I wanted to read more about the 1936 Olympics. I wanted to learn more about what happened in that historic moment. Here is Jesse Owens, the, really one of the greatest athletes in the world. And he goes to Berlin, and if you're all familiar with the story, Hitler has risen to power, and the Olympics are being held in Berlin. And he believes, as most of you know, that his race, the Aryan race, is the supreme race on all levels. And we know the, the extent to which he, Hitler went to carry out his evil and diabolical plans in the pantheon of evil humans that have ever lived. And here comes Jesse Owens, the grandson of a slave to Germany in the height of Nazi power. Hitler proclaiming that they are the greatest nation and they are the greatest people on earth. And a lot of people had asked him not to go. They were afraid of failure. They were afraid that he might get the silver medal or the bronze medal or not even earn a medal thus giving greater credence to the evil thinking and speech of a madman. And what does Jesse Owens accomplish? Well, he wins four gold medals. And at this museum, in this small community in Alabama, they have the, they have the, where he jumped, they have the, the measurements drawn out. And you can see the runway and the pit and where he landed. And then they have a picture, this was mind-blowing, of a school bus. That he jumped the length of a school bus in a superhuman feat. And John Hunter and I just stood there for a long period of time just looking at this. Like, how is this... How is this possible? And then we go inside and we see one of the gold medals. And as you're leaving, there's a picture of Jesse Owens in his American track outfit, wearing a gold medal, standing on the podium, and it's contrasted against Hitler in the stadium holding the railing and looking down like this. He thought 
that he had all of the authority. He thought that his race was the ultimate race. And and Jesse Owens proved in that moment, proved a lot of things, but significantly so, that we are all made in the image of God. And that you cannot claim authority. And so this morning when we come to Mark chapter 12 and we look at the words of Jesus, what we see is the only king, the only ruler on this planet who can claim ultimate authority. I am the ultimate Lord. Let's let's take that to heart this morning. Let's pray. God, this is your word, and it is true, and it is eternal, like we talked about in the children's message. And Father, we need to be reminded of your word and its truth and its grace and its love that it tells us about in Jesus as much as the little ones. And so, Father, open our eyes so that we may see, open our ears so that we may hear, draw us closer to your throne, set me aside as I speak this morning, and may only you be heard. Amen. So there are three things that we're going to look at this morning as we talk about the rightful authority of Lord Jesus. The rightful authority of Lord Jesus. And the first is that the Messiah is the son of David. The Messiah is the son of David. And so Jesus, we've been studying him for a long time in the Gospel of Mark, and we know that all along the way, Mark has been trying to show his audience in Rome made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers and those who are questioning both Jewish and Gentile that Jesus is king, that he is Lord, that he is the Messiah. That this is a big deal, that God has come in the flesh to bring about reconciliation and change, to bring us back to the garden and undo the sin that has tangled this world. A new heavens and a new earth, that is where we're going because of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom. He is the Messiah who is going to accomplish all of this. He is the Son of of David. And so Jesus is trying to help his audience to understand who he is in light of Psalm 110, verse 1. This is one of the clearest explanations in all of the New Testament regarding Jesus. And he's saying to his audience, The religious leaders do not understand who I am. And you have seen them try to trick me. You have seen them harass me. You know, or maybe perhaps you understand that they are trying to arrest me. Clearly, he's telling, helping the apostles to understand that they are trying to do evil things to me. And so he tells them that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of David. But how can this be the case? How can David's son be greater than David? If David is the great king of the Old Testament. And so Jesus brings us back to Psalm 110. And he's showing his audience, he's telling his audience, he's reminding his audience that David makes the reference of his son being a Lord who is 
His Lord, who is equal to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. Wait, what? We have two references to divine deities in Psalm 110. Two lords. The covenant Lord, Yahweh, the God who has seen Israel through the wilderness, who has raised up King David, who has made covenant promises to His people, and that there is also another Lord that David subjects himself to, who is His Son. Which was counter, on some level, to the thinking at that time in the ancient Middle East. The son of a king would never be as important as the king. Never. What is David saying? And Jesus is telling them that I am that Messiah. I am the Redeemer. I am the son of David who is David's Lord. This is who I am. Jesus knows that the cross is coming. Jesus knows that He is near Calvary. And He is trying to help the apostles and His followers to understand I'm not simply a carpenter from Nazareth. I'm not simply a teacher of the law. I am the Son of God who has come in the flesh to redeem you from sin and death and to execute the promises of God to establish His covenant forever so that you will be accepted into God's family and you will be loved and forgiven. Profound things. Jesus wants them to see this very clearly. Do we see this in any other place in the Old Testament? Yes. Absolutely. Let's go to Zechariah. Turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 3. Now I'm going to give you a second because I know that's not easy to find in the Old Testament. It's towards the end and it's one of the smaller books. It's called a minor prophet. Zechariah chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 8 through 9. Who is Zechariah, first of all? He is a prophet in the Old Testament. At what point in history did this minor prophet exist? Minor prophet means the prophets who wrote after Israel returned from exile to rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, Israel was punished for their sins and their covenant disobedience. They were sent into exile. They were under the rule and the authority of foreign nations and foreign gods. God allowed them to return. And he tells them that if you will rebuild Jerusalem and you will worship me perfectly and you will obey the covenant perfectly, then a Davidic son will arrive who will bring about blessing to Israel so much so that all of the nations of the world will look at you and go, whoa, we want what they have, including their God. And so that's the context for 8 and 9. Zechariah is speaking to the nation. He's speaking about the high priest Joshua. And he's trying to encourage them as they have returned from exile. So here are these two verses. 
Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And notice this. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Now this is sort of a side note, but if you're interested in reading Revelation, Revelation is Hebrew apocalyptic literature. And if you want to begin to grasp it, take a deep dive into the book of Zechariah. And that will help you better understand Revelation because there's similarities in the genre. And so here we have in Zechariah chapter 3 this great prophet speaking to the priest Joshua and he's saying there's going to come a day when the Lord is going to bring His servant the branch. And this implies deity. Now here we are in the Old Testament. And that's significant. And the prophet is saying, yes, you, you are to uphold your priestly office. You are to obey the covenant. You are to carry out worship according to the law of God. But there is going to come a servant of God who is God Himself, the branch, and He will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And so Jesus in Mark chapter 12 is saying that I am the descendant of David. I am the Messiah. I am the branch. I am the servant. I am the Lord. And I have come to redeem my people. And so Jesus is trying to communicate to them the most important thing that you need to understand in all of this is not that I'm the son of David. The most important thing that you need to grasp is I am your Lord. And you need me because I am bringing you salvation. I am bringing you redemption. I am bringing you hope and joy and peace. I am bringing about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God will restore all things. And until that day comes, yes, there will be difficulties and stress and problems and issues, but you will hold on to me and hope. Because I will remove the iniquity of this land. I will remove the iniquity of this land. Jesus is our Lord. He stands on the podium in victory and triumph. Number two. Jesus is our King. Look at the passage in chapter 12. What does it say? That the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Wait, what? Sit at my right hand? What does that mean? Well, and I've shared this with you before, that when I was a child and any time it was mentioned in the worship service about sitting at the right hand of God the Father, I always imagined a small... Baby Jesus, sitting on a little throne beside the Father, swinging His legs back and forth. I did not grasp what this meant. Well, it's ancient Middle Eastern imagery of political war and victory. It means that Jesus has achieved 
total victory. He is the conqueror, and thus he has the right to sit at the right hand in glory, in power, with authority, in victory. That's what this means. Jesus is our King. And let me tell you, there's nothing greater than being a subject of that King. Because His love for me is perfect. His care for me is perfect. His will for me is perfect. He wants what is best for His people, His subjects. And here's what's so great about the Gospel. We're not mindless serfs that live outside the castle who seek to serve the King at His whim. He not only brings us into the kingdom, but He makes us His own. He adopts us and brings us into His family. And so through that transaction, that union that we have with Christ, we become royal. We are the royal sons and daughters of the High King who sits on His throne in victory. I mean, that's, that's really, it's really hard to grasp. I want to share with you something personal. How this fleshes itself out in life. And I think you know me well enough at this point that I'm, I'm pretty much fair game from up here. I open up my life to you. I open up my family to you. It's a way in which you can get to know my, my ministry as your shepherd. Also my weaknesses and my need to rely completely on Jesus that I just simply throw myself on the cross and hold tightly, knowing that really He's the one that holds me. And so I want to share this with you. Um, I even debated whether or not this was too personal, but I think it will help you. Um, so John Hunter goes into surgery on Thursday, and exploratory surgery, and the doctor says to us, it will take an hour and a half to two hours. And, you know, we, we go down to the cafeteria, we get something to eat. And it was about 35, maybe 40 minutes. And we get a text, um, please come see the doctor immediately. And as parents, what do you think, what do you feel when the chief of surgery at Le Bonner tells you, this is going to take an hour and a half to two hours. And 40 minutes later, please come see him immediately. And I know that the worst possible thoughts went through Vicky's head. I know that the worst possible thoughts went through my head. We stood up and I grabbed her hand and I said, he is in the arms of King Jesus. And that's how we went forward. That's how we met the doctor. Because his parents, his believers, John Hunter ultimately belongs to Jesus more than he belongs to me. And if he is king, and he is victorious, and his will is perfect, whatever news they give me about my child is okay. Because he is the king of kings. And so... That's who Jesus is for us. That's what He's trying to help us see and understand in this passage, that He will sit down and has sat down 
at the right hand of God the Father, in power, with authority, in victory, as the Redeemer and the Messiah of His people. Good news, Trinity. Good news. Good news for today, and great news for anything that you might face. And number three, Jesus is victorious. I want to read from Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. I think Paul speaks well to what it means that Jesus is victorious. And why am I mentioning this? Well, if you look back in our text this morning at verse 36, not only does he say, sit at my right hand, he also goes on to say, until I put your enemies under your feet. So Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 12 as he thinks about what David has said in Psalm 110 that not only will he sit at the right hand of God the Father in authority, but that he'll come again. He's going to have to get up from that throne and he's going to return victorious in order to establish his kingdom forevermore. The new heavens and the new earth. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. That Jesus is victorious now, but the kingdom is not here in all its fullness, and He will return. He will return as the victorious king, as the champion, wearing the gold medal. And so Paul explains it pretty well in Colossians 2, 13-15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. So as I was looking through the New Testament and thinking through the theme of Jesus being ultimately victorious in the final establishment of the kingdom of God, I thought about what's going on in the Ukraine. So you have an unjust ruler invading a free country and committing terrible things. And we know that he has done unspeakable things in the past. He is a tyrant. But that's not new to the history of the world. And that's not new to even what's going on in less recognizable countries even now. Think North Korea. And so... When we look at the current events of the world, we are reminded there are just unjust, unfair, unloving, horrible people, Hitlers, that want to do unspeakable harm to all those made in the image of God, whether believer or not. And what What Paul is saying in this passage is because Jesus is king and because He's going to return in victory, because He wears the crown, and because He has the sword. Don't forget that. He is going to right all of these wrongs. He is going to triumph over these unjust and tyrannical governments that oppress people. That your king is coming back to bring renewal, to recreate all things, to bring his people unto himself, and everything will be made right. And so even as we faced 
the fear of something in the moment being very wrong with my son because I belong to the king, because my son belongs to the king, because he is going to return in victory, because he is going to establish his kingdom in perfection forever, I have no fear. Yeah, things are hard in this life. Things are difficult. You do shed tears. But that Jesus is going to make it right as our King in a way in which we cannot fully comprehend as His people, as His sons and daughters. And so He, His audience, heard His words and they were glad. It says in the English Standard Versions, the great throng heard Him gladly. Trinity, let's hear these words this morning. Gladly. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our triumphant King who will return in victory and fullness, bless us, help us, guide us, lead us, Infuse our hearts with your grace. Help us to fall more in love with you every single day and to never doubt. It's for your sake and your glory and your honor that we pray. Amen.